everyone. Welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto trading and investing to NFTs, decentralized finance, and so much more. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell financial products. This podcast is sponsored by CoinFlex, the home of crypto yield. Whether you're passively managing money or taking an actively managed approach, you can earn and trade crypto easily on CoinFlex, which sees over $2 billion in daily trading volume. CoinFlex is committed to making crypto derivatives yield accessible to everyone, whether you are investing hundreds or thousands of dollars and more. With a newly launched automated market-making product called AMM+, you can earn yield on crypto by providing liquidity into the futures markets. The AMM Plus is 10 times more capital efficient than other automated market makers and offers multiple collateral types so that you can earn more with less. Interested in learning more about CoinFlex and trying out the AMM Plus? Head over to coinflex.com AMM to get started and let the market work for you. Yay, Blaza, Rafaela. Bienvenido ao Crypto Unstacked. Hello, Leslie. Thank you for having me. Decided to try out a little bit of uh, Portuguese, probably poor. <laughs> no, it was perfect. That was really good. Well, it's so great to have you on the show. As I mentioned to you before we press record, you are my first guest from Brazil. So always trying to expand the diversity of my guests. So it's great to have you on. I know that in a lot of other conversations you had on other podcasts, you talk a lot about your deep roots in traditional banking and finance and specifically in trading. And to be honest, I don't get a lot of female traders on the show. So this is really a treat. So let's maybe start off the conversation with you telling us about what drew you to trading specifically. Yeah, that's a funny question. I don't know why, but since I started studying in university in Sao Paulo, I had this impression that the trading floor was going to be a place where I was going to find myself maybe because it was loud, it was dynamic and things were moving all the time and you had to rearrange based on new information and think again about your strategy and and your convictions and put together your economic views into your portfolio, especially if it was a prop trading firm or a prop desk inside of an investment bank. And I felt that that was the most dynamic thing I could do in my career at that point. And I pursue that with all my strength, I guess, or my possibilities until at some point that I actually got there, which was super interesting. What was your first day like on the trading floor? Right, You have this desk to yourself, day number one on the job. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> that was overwhelming and really fun, actually. In the beginning, I was still super impressed by how loud it was. It was very loud and how many screens everybody had. So I had four screens, all the, the, that set that we have for talking to other brokers or salespeople. And I was just learning how to set it up. So like how to enter Bloomberg, how to, with my login and stuff like that, how to talk to people over the chat, how to reach out to people when you need help. The first day is more like getting to know people and getting to know the tech 
that you're going to use. And of course, that in the first day, they also showed me the Excel spreadsheet that I was going to have to work with, <laughs> which is totally fine. I, I still love Excel. I ended up being an Excel person since that's where I grew up. But that was a big part of what happened afterwards and next. So I guess that it was fun, loud. And by the end of the day, I was completely destroyed. There was so much information <laughs> that I couldn't process anything else. We've mentioned before that one of the markets that you love trading are the credit default swaps and the sovereign bond markets, right? What makes these markets exciting to you? I mean, they're such big words. Anyone who is not familiar might go, why would you ever love something like that? But it must be something with the experience or with how the market structure is that makes you really excited. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe it was also something because I was in the credit and structured products trading desk in this bank, but definitely I loved CDSs and bonds, especially not sovereign bonds as well, but the corporate bonds as well. I think that one of the reasons why I liked it is because one is, I think it's an easy product. So I set up my spreadsheet. I had like my, what would be my economic views on this. And, and so I was setting up my portfolio and my strategy there. And I really liked CDSs because it was like very straightforward towards what was happening with the country. So when I was at the trading desk, Brazil was going through an economic crisis, not just economic crisis, but also political crisis. Actually, there's no political stability in Brazil. The rule for the last, I don't know, 50 years or 40 years has been instability, political instability. So when I was there, something happening with the president, he was almost going to renounce or not. And you know, that it was like a, it was a crazy day at the bank because he was saying, I'm going to renounce or I'm not. And the Brazilian CDS was responding pretty substantially to that political crisis. And to me, that was really interesting to see a product that could react so much to the market sentiment. So I don't know why, but I just liked that product a lot. And as far as the bond market goes, it's also very straightforward. So you can also see all the corporate bonds reacting to the sovereign bonds, to political and macroeconomic changes. And to me, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, at some point, your love for the bond market started to pivot into <laughs> tech and you found yourself working for a company called Mainframe, of which... I guess it was a side hustle or part of that experience where you founded a project called Oh My Die, right? And this was back in October of 2019. And Oh My Die, for those of you guys listening who are not familiar, is the first options protocol that was on-chain in Ethereum. Tell us a little bit about the founding story of Oh My Die given that this is a new primitive that you ended up building, right? And the mission of Oh My Die. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that when we were working at Mainframe, by the way, we were working with zero coupon bonds, which I loved, and I still do. And I love them. I just think they're amazing. We just had so much energy. And we started doing side projects over the weekends because there were so many different primitives to be built on DeFi back then in 2019. We didn't have... I don't know, 80% of the things that we have today or more. And then in one of those side projects, we started discussing the possibility of futures, thinking about if we lock collateral, if we allow the, the buyer to access the collateral or not, or different liquidation systems. 
And one of those conversations, we were pretty much discussing options, concepts in Ethereum and how they could actually come to life. And in the following week, what happened was that Zubin, the founder of Open, released a white paper called Convexity Protocol. And Convexity Protocol was just written the exact same thing that we were talking about over the weekend. And this is something super common. People all over the world sometimes think about the same things and end up doing super similar things. And we were like, oh my God, look at this thing. This is so cool. This is exactly what we were talking about. We should build a tool for this. And this is what we did. So in that following week, I think it was at 12 of November. And then on November 15th, there was a super big and extended holiday in Sao Paulo. So we took that holiday and we just sit and work and got it done in over, I guess, seven days or something. And the idea there was actually just to build a really cool primitive that we were talking about and put it live and see people using. Back then, no one really understood options. And we started with a very narrow use case, which was hedge for people that had DAI and were not really bought in the multi-collateral DAI update because back then, I don't know if you remember, but the community was kind of divided. Some people didn't really mm-hmm. believe that multi-collateral DAI update was going to work. So we did that as a hedge for multi-collateral DAI, which ended up not being a very good idea because if you don't trust that DAI is going to hold the bag, you just sell DAI, sell DAI right? You don't buy a hedge for DAI. You just go out of that exposure. Yeah. <laughs> but that's totally okay. Like we learned from it. And I think that it was a, a really cool experience. Back then, we even sent it to Zubin. We had conversations about it. And I think that we started thinking of how to improve from there. Like where could we go? Where could we take Oh My Dive? And then the next thing for us was during If Denver in 2020. We expanded Oh My Dai not only to stable coins, but also to volatile assets and to call options as well, not only puts. So we started combining calls and puts into a straddle, starting to think of how to summarize a strategy into one token, which is something super connected to what we're doing at Pods today. Mm-hmm. At any point in time, did you think, you know what, I might be interested in joining Open because they clearly built a big portion of what I had dreamt of, right? Where I had conceptualized. Well, that's a good question. I think that we didn't really know each other back then. Like it was rather something of we as a part of the community, building a tool and putting it out Mm -hmm. open source for everyone and sharing it with them. So in our early blog posts, we make references to them and we kind of give credit to their protocol, of course. However, in that moment, we didn't have the chance to see any of their code because it wasn't, I think they were not live yet. So we were just like open to have conversations, but not really able to compare or build together, like build something that they built. So we were just like getting to know people in this space, especially because in Brazil, we had the impression that there weren't as many people talking and building in DeFi as we were. So we kind of felt like we were in a bubble. In that little office, just the four of us talking about DeFi all day. In fact, back then, we even started a DeFi community in Brazil. So it is called DeFi Brazil. Mm -hmm. And we started meeting other people that are also interested in DeFi and start creating this early, early community of DeFi in Brazil. Super interesting. All right. So we have a good understanding now that you have a love for options you kind of iterated with a few experimental ideas, starting with Oh My Die, and then that turned into Oh My DeFi, right? Yeah. And today, as 
we sit here talking, you're leading the team over at Pods Finance. And options is a market that is fairly complex, I would say, for even the traditional financial industry, right? You were talking about that just before. It takes some on-the-job training, really, to understand the risk management that goes on to price every option, right? And to have even the experience of buying or selling an option, let's say I were going on Robinhood, I need education to understand what to do and how to do it. And when you put this options product into the crypto market, things kind of get even more layered, right? There are more things that are unique to crypto that make options complex. If there's no explanation, no kind of guided experience to help users navigate through a platform, it can be kind of daunting, right? No matter how easy it seems the product is. And so let's start off the conversation on this part of our talk here to talk about derivatives, right? Derivatives in the best way possible that I've been able to source definitions from is basically like trading promises by minimizing market uncertainty. Could you talk a bit about your thesis when it comes to the crypto options market and what specific gaps there are right now in this space that you believe need tooling? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I really like about DeFi is composability. So composability is natural to DeFi. It's something that we do without even really thinking so much about it. It's just embedded in the technology. And this is something that is not true for traditional finance at all. So composability allows us to create products that are composed with like many different things. And this makes it possible to create those, I don't know, super complex or structures that or strategies that would be hard to create elsewhere or in traditional finance. And they are also transparent, right? So anyone can go there and just actually see what is inside of them. So honestly, I think that what DeFi can bring to this space is like to financial system, and especially thinking about structure products and options, is actually products that are, for the end user, super simple. And they can be Mm -hmm. just like one token that has an entire strategy inside of them and are transferable. And the user can actually, if they want to, they can see what is everything that is inside of it. But if they don't want to, they just have one token to look at and to think about. And this is something that DeFi can do. So with options in DeFi, of course. So honestly, I think that DeFi options right now are trying to get into a point where there is enough liquidity so that products like that can exist for the end user so that the end user doesn't have to super understand how an option works because they already understand this product is exposed to this risk and that's all I have to know. I don't have to necessarily be there managing an option exposure that I don't know much about. Because honestly, becoming an options trader takes a long time. And I think that DeFi technology will allow for some sort of different branches of options concepts to exist. So here we can create different structures that maybe have options concepts, but in the end are not 100% equal or similar to options in traditional finance. So maybe even a trader from traditional finance would look at the options that we have in DeFi and say, well, 
this is not exactly the type of tool that I use to trade options at home where I do. So I think in the end, those two things can coexist. And one of them, which is the DeFi option space, will emerge or will grow into some sort of infrastructure to allow products that are easy for the end user so that anyone can just buy one token and that token has the exposure they're looking for. Mm -hmm. So let's take that as an example where let's say you're speaking to one of your ex-colleagues, right, on the trading desk, and you're trying to explain the DeFi options market to this person. Mind you, this person has no crypto trading background, but let's say a decade's worth of experience trading traditional options. How would you explain the DeFi options market to them? Well, I would first say, normally what I say when I'm talking to them is like, I know this is going to look like a toy for you, but we're still very early and things are still going to change a lot. We are on the way. This is just the beginning. Just so that they know that what is coming is going to really look like a toy at that point. Mm -hmm. So I say, well, here's how we're doing Black Scholes. We're calculating Black Scholes, but we're not taking into account, for instance, the interest rate because there's no consensus in which one is the interest rate in crypto right now. And then they're like, well, okay, that makes sense. And then they are like, how do you do implied volatility? And then I explain the implied volatility calculation method. And then it's like, well, yes, there is space for improvement here. And for them, especially in the implied volatility part or the AMM part, it's really hard to understand because this is what they do, right? Pricing the implied volatility, pricing the options is their job. And the AMM is actually doing it for an algorithm that is doing that for them. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of critics around how to make that better because this is something that takes not only a quantitative analysis on the market, but also a qualitative analysis in understanding where other players are, understanding the movements of a hedge fund or another one, and then adjusting accordingly and fast enough in your pricing method, in all your orders across the different exchanges that you're connected to. And this is something that is really hard to put into an algorithm. So this is the biggest concern that my colleagues have around DeFi options, especially algorithmically priced options. And I totally understand. This is why I think that some of the, there is space for both things to continue to exist. And some of them are going to be serving at a very specific type of market. And then I come to them and say, well, but think about options on a very illiquid asset or like, would you be putting a price there? Or like, how would you be doing that? And then they're like, well, yes, this makes sense for maybe less liquid markets that have different maturities and, and stuff like that. Then there is another part, which they are not a very big fan of, which is the collateralization ratio, or mm. in our case, being fully collateralized. So they're like, well, yeah, this is not very cool. The only reason why I would like to trade options is to have leverage. And having fully collateralized options doesn't make any sense. We're like, well, yeah, we're getting there. It's going to happen. This is just the beginning. And then I come to them and say, well, but look at the other side. Look at the bright side. You can do composed option using collateral from another protocol. So you could have A tokens generating interest for you while you're selling options. So you're starting to stack rewards. So you get yield from Aave, then you get the premium from the option. Maybe you even have a reward from Aave and Polygon that is giving liquidity mining incentives. And then they start looking at it differently because the mine open is like, well, wait, actually, then within one option, you kind of can start looking at this as 
as a structured product in the end because you're combining different things. And so the conversation goes like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's a great question. I love it. Yeah. And then you start to naturally take them down the rabbit hole, right? Because once you end at that point, what you're entering into is the yield narrative, right? Yeah. And that's what's really interesting and catches their attention. They're like, Rafaela, tell me more, you know? <laughs> and then maybe their gateway into crypto for this traditional options, let's say market maker, whoever, is not options, but it's something completely different. And then somewhere down the line, they get ideas on what DeFi options should look like. And then they partner with you to create something, right? So not everyone's gateway into crypto has to exactly be from where they came from, the industry they came from. Absolutely. I totally agree. Couldn't agree more. Like one of the things that makes, for instance, me think that crypto traders are still going to take a little bit longer to enter DeFi space is that like, for instance, I know a person that has a company that creates structured products for their clients with crypto. And so they use options, they use a lot of Deribit and other centralized exchanges for their clients. And they were learning about DeFi, learning about MetaMask, starting to get involved. And they were pretty concerned about, of course, margin, how they were going to use that in DeFi. But most importantly, they were concerned about custody. They were concerned about using MetaMask in the first place, how they're going to manage the funds for their investors. Because in other places, they have an API that they control the account of the clients for the clients, but they don't hold the funds for the clients. However, in DeFi, this is not like super easy to do yet. And so this came out as a blocker for actually their usage of DeFi at all, mm -hmm. even though they would like to start using some yield products that would benefit their clients a lot and of course the structured products they're creating. So I think that we're still missing some basic tools for these people to start entering, even though they are interested, especially institutionals that are doing it for their clients. I think they're going to take a little bit longer based on lack of tools, basic tools to use that. Agree. Another one of my sponsors is Amber Group. Amber Group is an integrated crypto finance platform behind the popular Amber app, a crypto finance app that allows you to easily earn, swap, trade, and invest in crypto. You can earn up to 5% APY instantly by depositing assets to your wallet and receive daily interest payouts. This means earning interest 24-7 with no lockup. You can also customize fixed income investments between 1 and 360 days to enjoy up to 10% APR with flexible redemptions. Right now, new users can earn up to 16% APR on Bitcoin, Ethereum, and USD stablecoins. Go and download Amber app at www.ambercrypto.com and earn interest on your own terms. Let's deep dive into Pods Finance now and do something as kind of similar to kind of how we've been explaining things, which is talking about and trying to explain Pod Finance in three difficulty levels. I think that might be helpful to our audience because I have, you know, proper traders, been in the market for decades who are now into crypto listening to this podcast. And I also have newcomers who don't necessarily have a finance background, but are coming at crypto maybe from a tech perspective, right? So a spectrum of people with a broad range of financial knowledge. So maybe let's start on tier one. Let's pretend you're speaking to a high schooler, someone with very limited financial knowledge. If anything, this person has 
kind of personal financial knowledge or personal finance knowledge about savings, very basic investments. Maybe they've seen the Robin Hood equivalent over in Brazil. How would you explain Pod's finance and what you're building to this person? Yeah, absolutely. So to this person, I would say, hey, you have Bitcoin? And I would expect that they would say, yes, I do have Bitcoin. And then I was going to say, well, if you're thinking about maybe buying a car by the end of the year, and you're thinking about using Bitcoin to do that, one of the things that you could do is to make sure that you're going to have the amount of the card that you want to buy. You could buy a put option on the Bitcoin that you have right now in that certain amount. So let's say, I don't know, Bitcoin is at almost 60 or 58 or something. So you could buy a put option to make sure that you're going to be able to sell your Bitcoin at 58 or 59 by the end of the year so that you're sure that you're going to be able to pay the card that you want to buy or maybe the university subscription or application that you want to do. And if you do that and Bitcoin falls in price, you're safe, you're fine. You just bought like a, a protection for your investment. Just like sometimes people buy insurance for their car, you're buying insurance for your portfolio. And if Bitcoin goes in price like up like to 100, that's great. You just lost the little premium that you paid there. Well, I don't know, maybe $500 or less. And you keep your total investment as it is. So that is like the very basic one type mm. of explanation of how to use one type of option, which is the put option on the buying side. There are at least other three types of basic combinations that you can do, like either selling put options, buying call options or selling call options. I guess the other one that I would explain to this first level would be buying call options. So in buying call options, I would say to a person, hey, are you interested in buying crypto, but you are still like uncertain of the volatility? One of the things that you could do instead of buying and like using 60K to buy a Bitcoin right now, you could use $1,000 and buy options on Bitcoin, buy call options on Bitcoin. Then what is going to happen is if Bitcoin goes up in price, that's great. That's great for you because you're going to be able to exercise your options and you now have Bitcoin only after you know that Bitcoin went up. Mm -hmm. But if Bitcoin goes down, then you're fine. You don't have to exercise your options. You didn't lose more than you wanted to. And you don't have to be scared about the volatility. and You're good. So I think that those are the two types of super basic entry level in options explanations that I would give. So let's layer onto that now. Let's say you're speaking with a graduate student. And this person has a finance background, right? Spent the last three, four years studying theory and maybe some applications. But this person has no, little to no crypto knowledge. Let's layer on to that concept that you just mentioned, right? And talk about, yeah, a little bit more and deeper into Pods Finance. So this person can start to get an idea of, as a consumer, using this product, what does that look like? Yeah. So you can either enter the app and interact with the app on the trading perspective or on the LP perspective. So let's talk about the LP perspective in a second. But on the trading perspective, there are four things that you can do. You can buy call options. You could buy put options. You could sell calls or sell puts. When you're just buying it's the first explanation, like super simple. You just enter there, pay a premium. 
and either get exposure or get insurance or hedge. That is like simple and the graduate students should understand how to incorporate this into its portfolio. And then there's also the selling side. The selling side is very interesting, especially in DeFi, because at Pods, one thing that we do is called smart collateral, which is being integrated with Aave in the collateral side. So at the same time that you're selling an option and you're posting collateral to create that option token, you are locking collateral that is generating interest for you. So at the same time that you have the exposure of the sold option, plus you earned the premium of that option, you're also going to earn yield on Aave based on your collateral. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of factors that add up and sum up to making your investment or your position there more productive for you, either on the calls or in the, on the put. So in the calls, you could lock a ETH or a link or a Aave if you're selling a, an option on Aave, link or ETH. And on the put side, you would be locking AUSDC or ADAI or another stable coin that has a mark in Aave. So this is on the trading side. And then there's the LP side. So the LP side is also very interesting because it's a combination of even more stacking of rewards because you create options tokens and together with stable coins, you provide them to a pool that is going to generate trading fees for you. So on top of everything that you're going to earn as being an option seller, like in your collateral with the yield from Aave, plus the theta decay with the options, you're going to get trading fees from the AMM. Gotcha. So I'm thinking if that graduate student understands AMMs now that I started talking about them. I think that person is now very intrigued whether there is something they can read up on in their school library talking about automated market making structure only to realize it is a crypto native innovation and that they cannot look at the history of AMMs outside of Web3, meaning they have to go and explore Uniswap right? They have to go yeah. and explore all these different iterations of AMMs, including pods, finance, options, AMM, and just start to tinker with it, right? So I think what this person would be interested in doing now is actually experimenting. Like, Rafaela, send me a link and I'll go and check it out. Okay. Yeah. So now we've reached the top tier level. This is someone perhaps that you might meet at a hackathon event. Okay, this person is leading another project, not an options protocol project, never dabbled with options before, but know of open, know of, of course, Pods Finance. They just missed your presentation, and now you have to give a really quick recap of what Pods Finance is about. Yeah. How would you describe it? Yeah, absolutely. So to that person, I would focus more on the AMM side of what we built. And basically, I would start by telling that person that options are a very specific asset because their pricing depends on other things, not just trading volume or trading activity. So normal AMMs like Uniswap or like general AMMs, general purpose AMMs like Uniswap V1, V2, they have their product constant formula that is dependent on the volume of trading for what's happening in that pool. And if you place an option token inside a pool like that, like you have, let's say, option token of ETH September 21st for 3500 on one side, and on the other side, you have a stable coin like USDC. This option, you know, this option token is going to be priced based on how much people were buying or selling of that token. 
but will have no connection to what is happening to the underlying price of the asset. Like what is happening to if what if if tanks to like a thousand? Mm-hmm. If there is no trading activity in the AMM at all, the price of that option is going to continue at uh, something like I don't know ten or whatever whatever level they are. They're not going to respond to that market reaction. They're also not going to respond to time passing. So if you started a pool today, no one traded. It's been a month. You're going to have the same price. And for options, this is completely wrong because options have something that we call theta decay. So theta decay express like how much an option loses in value as time passes. So the closer the option is in the money, and if the option is far from being exercised, the price of that option should be very low. Mm-hmm. And so there is something that we call uh, theta collection that happens for options because most of the options end out of the money. And there is this thing that we call theta collection, which basically allows this option seller to collect the theta of that option as time goes. So we were able to somehow include this in our option AMM. So the options, the liquidity providers, they have two sources of returns in the AMM. One of them is the basic trading fees, collection of trading fees. And the second one is something that we call AMM returns, like a general AMM returns. And the general AMM returns express how much of data collection normally those LPs were able to generate over time. So basically, uh, what this entails is, is like there is going to be a trading activity happening in this price level. Let's say we just started a pool and the price of that option right now is 50. We have an algorithm that is pricing the options at all times with or without trading activity mm. happening. So at all times, updating the price of that option based on the underlying asset price. Like if if tanks to a thousand, the option price will respond. If Time passes a week from, we're a week ahead of time. The AMM pricing should respond to that change. So if trading activity starts happening now when pricing is at 50, let's say a lot of people bought when options at 50, and then a week pass, the options are going to end out of the money. Options are now trading at 10. Let's say that everybody that bought at 50, they want to sell back at 10. They can sell back at 10. But all this difference from 50 to 10 is collected by the LPs. And this is what we call like the theta decay. And so in this AMM returns part of the pool, it's a combination of trading volume, how much was the option priced at that moment. And of course, the trading volume to each side. Was there more people buying or more people selling at what level of the price of the option was in that moment? So at all times, the LPs should be, it's like a debt to funds actually type of process. So if I am an LP and I provide liquidity to the protocol, I have a virtual balance in the protocol and the AMM is at all times looking at me as if the AMM had a debt with me. So I provided options tokens and stable coins and the AMM is going to tell me, well, now I have options that are worth 50 and I have stable coins here. Your debt is this amount. If you remove now, I'm going to pay you back with a combination of both. So it doesn't matter which side of the AMM you provide liquidity to because it's a single-sided AMM. So you can provide options tokens or stable coins Mm -hmm. that in the end, the AMM is going to give you back a combination of both that represents the same amount or the same value amount that you provided initially. So I would focus more on explaining the AMM logic and concepts to the graduate student that is, yeah, right, is the PhD student that understands DeFi. Or now this is your peer (laughs) that you met at a hackathon. So this is a proper crypto native person that you're speaking with. 
Yeah, that's true. So I would focus on explaining that the AMM is a single-sided AMM and, and that it doesn't matter how much you provide on each side, that in the end of the period, you're going to receive a certain amount of both tokens that mm -hmm. represents your initial amount when you're entering. Amazing. Awesome job. <laughs> so now you've just pitched Pods Finance to basically three different types of users, potential users, right? Who would you say you're building Pods Finance for right now at this point in time? That's a great question. So right now at this point in time, I would say that we're mostly building it for integrators. So other people that want to use our tools, like in our, the concept that we're evolving here on the AMM and on the options tokens, so that they can help us create easier products for DeFi users. I still think that even though we have an amazing app with a, a UX that is like seamlessly for buying or selling options, still buying and selling options are hard things to get your head around. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would expect to see most of our volume coming from integrations with other protocols that are either creating structured products or that are integrating options inside their own protocols, like maybe in the collateral to reduce the collateral ratio or collateral requirements in lending or borrowing mechanisms to change their liquidation systems or something like that. So right now we have like our showcase app that shows like a really nice experience for buying and selling and providing liquidity. But I would say that the, the end user that we are trying to connect with the most at this point are integrators. Mm -hmm. Well, amazing, because that's what I want to talk about right now. You've segued really nicely into a new project that you've been working on, which is called AirDrip, right? Which is a tool for DAOs to, I mean, I'm quoting your tweet here, uh, stream call options to core contributors and community members. So you're combining two fairly crypto-native topics, DAOs and this options protocol, basically, to enable this new type of community building tool, if I can call it that. So yeah, let's spend some time to chat through this really awesome tool that you've built. Yes, absolutely. So AirDrip is something, in my opinion, super exciting that the team and I worked on during ETC. We did a hackathon there, and we just wanted to build cool stuff using our own tech. And AirDrip was a natural one because one of our team members is also a co-founder of Sablier. And so we thought, well, it just makes sense to just use a call option and stream that using Sablier. So that's what we did. And we found that DAOs are interested in either using them as liquidity mining rewards. So instead of just giving people their token, they could actually just stream or give them call options and reduce a little bit the dumping pressure on the token with the liquidity mining program. Or DAOs can also use that to incentivize their members. So instead of paying grants, they can pay just grants in their token. They can also pay grants that has a part in call options as well. So you kind of align incentives with your community that everybody is bought in into the price of the token to get into a certain point so that everybody's going to win with that or to ensure some sort of long-term holding of that community. So you kind of try to reduce a bit the toxicity levels of communities that have been mm. too much focused on token price, super short-term focus. And so you kind of put a, a time lock into that somehow. And so this is what AirDrip kind of is. Of course, that you're talking about composable things here. So there are many ways that you can use AirDrip. So you can use just the call options aspect of it. You could use call options plus the streaming. And you can kind of create the incentive program that fits the doubt that you're working on best. 
of course, because it's a super, I don't know, modular thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would say that this is a different way of looking at rewards. So which DAO has implemented Airdrip already? So no one yet, but we do have many DAOs interested. We did a research. In fact, if that's okay, I could even leave the link for the research here. Please, yes. For you, for all the DAOs that are interested in using it. And we have about 23 DAOs responding that are interested in using some format of Airdrip. And I think that now is, is a matter of understanding how exactly can we help them put it together for each purpose of they're trying to achieve. Or as well, understanding if there's a lot more that we would have to build to offer them a solution that they want to use. Very cool. Rafael, I've had such a great time with you. Just getting to learn about DeFi options in particular, which I still need to wrap my head around. But, you know, as we end the conversation here, we'd love to get your thoughts on how you see the future of structured products in DeFi. I feel like you're at the very, very beginning with Pods Finance, yeah. how would you like to see it grow? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, like, honestly, from what I've seen in traditional finance structure products, at least in Brazil, and seeing DeFi now, I think that DeFi is an absolute game changer for structure products. It's just going to be another thing. And I think that the market in DeFi, the possibilities that it opens can make this market even a lot bigger and a lot better, 10,000x better than what it is in traditional finance. And to me, that's extremely exciting because I think that there are so many amazing products that we can create for people to use. And that will be just like really, really cool. So I think that moving forward in DeFi, we're going to start seeing is, I don't know, maybe more projects, more projects creating different structured products and making like super easy UX for people to use it mm -hmm. in different assets as well, different markets. And I think that the of course, now we are seeing some super simple structure products, but moving forward, I would expect to see some more complex strategies being created as well. However, increasing complexity also increased the difficulty of explaining the risks within them. So I would expect to see UX that can abstract that complexity, but, but be transparent enough to show what are the risks in case users want to learn more about how much they can lose and things like that. So I would expect to see many flavors of structure products coming up <laughs> next. Awesome. Really, really exciting there. Well, Javiela, thanks so much for hopping on Crypto Unstacked. This has been super fun and a new conversation, I think, for our audience. So, obrigada. Uh -huh. That's great. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. I had a great time here today.